And that's one thing that I would hope the church would have in unity. He is worthy of praise. And it's not a style. It's an attitude. That's what worship is. Praise is an action. You've got to do something to praise. You've got to clap your hands, lift your voice. All of those things enter into the, into the idea of praise. But attitude, really in my opinion, needs to come before praise because we need to have the right attitude. And my goodness, folks, I don't know about you, but God has done so much, so much, you know. And so this is what we, we display here. You're not looking at perfect people here. You're just looking at people that on the most part have been touched by the Master's hand. Amen. And so expressing that is one of the ways that God gives us to draw nigh unto Him. Praise God. The Bible says if we'll do that, He'll draw nigh unto us. And so we're going to do that in prayer right now. This is a time for if you've got a request for the Lord, if you need something, and I don't know what it is, I know that God will supply all of your needs. And so keep that in mind, praise God, as we ask the Lord. But let's go to the Lord in confidence. You don't have to be ashamed to ask God for anything. The only thing you have to be is ready to receive His answer. And so let's do that. Let's lift our hands in faith right now. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Praise God in the name of Jesus. Lord God, I give you praise and I give you glory, Lord God, in the name of Jesus for all that you have done. There's nothing, Lord God, that is not accomplished through your grace. And so, Lord, touch every person here. I, Lord God, evict every form of depression right now. I command it to leave. That, Lord God, those that are being plagued by it are having instant relief right now. That they can feel the lightness of the grace of God that comes into this place. Lord God, let every eye be opened. Every ear be open in the spiritual realm, Lord God. That they can, and we can receive with meekness the engrafted word that is able to save our souls. I pray that God will be open to what you're saying, not to what we think. In Jesus' name, touch, magnify, Lord God. I just believe that you are the one, Lord God, that can do all things every day. In the name of Jesus, Lord God, touch, strengthen, Lord God, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. Praise the name of the Lord in Jesus' name. And you can be seated. The Lord bless you today. That is an intent that He has. Praise God. And blessings come, come in all shapes and sizes. Praise God. Greatest blessing that I, that I found from the Lord is the fact that I can change. And I thank God for that. It's, it's the, probably the, the, the big overview uh, word for that is repentance. Repentance has that to do. And the Bible says that it's the goodness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. It doesn't mean He makes us repent. It just He leads us to a place where we can see the need for it. Praise God. And that's not poor self-esteem or God trying to make you look little or bad. He's just trying to help you to be saved. And Jesus spoke profound messages on this in the Gospels, if you'd check it out. One place he said, if you don't repent, you're going to perish. That wasn't a threat. Uh, that is not a threat. That was an invitation. He was just saying, listen, all of us, no matter what happens to us in life, we're going to find our place in a, play, in, a, in, a, in a situation where the real answer is for us to change the way we think. And then a lot of like a domino effect, it will affect everything that we do. And so the attitude, praise God, it's, it's really unique that Jesus, when he did one of his most intense studying in the scriptures, or I should say strung it along for three, three chapters, he didn't start with the things you do, he started with the way you think. That's where he started. He said the attitudes or the beatitudes or the attitudes that need to be. And I don't know about you, I don't struggle with this as much as I, as I am becoming more aware of it in Jesus' name. Praise God. And so we thank you for being here today. We trust that whatever God's got to say is going to have tremendous ramifications on your life. It does if we let it, praise God, in Jesus' name. Um, in Hebrews chapter number 6, Sister Carnahan's not back there right now, but I'm going to read some scripture for you. Um, it's found in the 6th chapter of Hebrews, and it talks about something that I've taught for years. 
and it's something called fundamentals or foundations. The word fundamental just simply means forming, you know, I, I looked this up, it says forming a necessary base or core. Jesus used this in reference to, to in, in his Gospels, to foundations. Foundations are extremely important. I don't know which one you're on today. Um, I'm here to tell you that there is one that you can get on that is, is tremendous. It doesn't mean you're going to be exempt from any of the realities of life. It just means that you're, going to, you're, on, you're in a secure place in Jesus' name. And so, uh, for the sake of time, in Hebrews, it talks about six of these. You can specifically see them in verses, or chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Look at this. It says, therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ. Do you see that? What that means is that means, what did Jesus teach? What did Jesus emphasize as important? That one is worth checking out, and I hope that you will, praise God. It says, let us go on on. on on unto perfection. Perfection is not never making a mistake. Perfection is completion. And then it talks about not laying again the foundation. Everybody say the foundation. Now you can, it, it doesn't take rocket science. In, in, the next, in, in the last part of this verse, in the next verse, you can see six distinct foundations that Jesus taught. And you can check this out in the gospel. You know, Hebrews 6 and 1 and 2 is where we're at. It says, first one is repentance from dead works. I've already made reference to that. Repentance is important. It will make a difference. And then it talks about the uh, uh, faith towards God. That one I'm going to elaborate on just a little bit more. I'm not going to do all of these. I'm going to take them one at a time periodically, and I'm going to help you to understand what they really mean. And then in verse number two, it talks about the doctrine of baptisms. I do personally believe that, mean, that, that includes the doctrine of water baptism in Jesus' name. But I don't think that's the only baptism. I think there is a baptism of meekness that needs to come over us so that we can receive the Word of God. I believe we need to be baptized in grace. The word uh, baptism gives you the idea of fully being fully immersed, not just getting a trickle. And this is where we're, a lot of folks are satisfied today, and I, I feel bad for people like that because since I've been baptized in the things of God, I'm trying not to accept anything less I want to be fully immersed in His grace. I want to be fully immersed in His mercy. That's what I want. And I hope that you do too because God has provided that for you. And then it goes on to say the laying on of hands, which we do from time to time in this church. We give room for the laying on of hands for people to receive the Holy Ghost, for the laying on of hands for people to be healed. I mean, there's, there's an impartation that happens when faith-filled people will lay hands on people. I can't see it all the time, but it's there. And so I want you to understand, we're not making this stuff up. And then the last two, it talks about the resurrection of the dead. That is going to happen. If I have time today, I'm going to talk about two different types of judgment. The judgment seat of Christ and the white throne judgment. You know, you are in a position right now where you can choose which one you want to be at. Praise God. And then it talks about eternal judgment. What that means is God is going to have the final say. There's a time when your life, my life, everybody's life is going to be over. And we are going to stand before God. Now that again is not a threat. That's what's going to happen. And so you can be prepared for that. Come on, I don't want to just walk through that door and say, boy, I hope everything's okay. No, I'm, and I'm not trying to be facetious here or smart alky. I'm telling you the truth God gives us time in this earth, praise God, that we can prepare ourselves for what's going to come. And so this is what the, this is, if you don't recognize this, this is part of the mercy package. Mercy is, in my simple way of referring to it, mercy is when God doesn't give us what we deserve. <laughs> and all of us receive that every day, whether we realize it or not. Amen. And so I hope that you will think about these things because they're worthy of your thoughts in Jesus' name. Praise God. The one that I want to talk about today specifically, and I might be doing this for the next coming weeks, this is just part of what I'm going to talk about today, is I want to talk about faith and the faith that transforms because I believe that faith sometimes can become a cliche. We just use it and we really don't know what we're doing, you know? 
Um, we are going through a marriage class here in, in this church on Thursday nights. We got like six or eight couples that are coming on Thursday nights and getting more involved in, in, in what does marriage mean, what kind of things can we do. And, and one of the things I appreciate about the teacher there, Emerson is his name, is he helps us to see what it looks like. So many times, and that's why I did this this morning, so many times we say, well, worship God, worship God. And a lot of people will come in and they'll say, well, what does that, what is that? What does that look like? Where do you find that in the Bible? And this is what we got to be careful of, that we don't, you know, take it for granted that everybody just knows. Now, I understand that people know a lot more than they want to portray, but the bottom line is sometimes we need to be reminded of. The Bible is very, very, very specific about what God wants to, for us to do. And one of the, one of the things that's, and, and this is the foundation or one of the fundamentals, is the fact that God wants us to have faith in him. That's what he wants you to learn to do. Now, listen to this. Everyone has faith in something. Would you agree? Sure. You had faith when you got in the car this morning that it would run. You had faith in that road out there that those people were going to stay on their own side. Yeah. Well, it's true. For without faith, it is impossible to survive. So faith comes in a lot of different forms. Or let me put it this way. We do have faith in a lot of things. Well, whether we trust in ourselves, others, money, tradition, philosophy, or God, we all believe in something. That is the human element, folks. These people that say, well, I don't believe in God. I don't think they're really telling all the truth. I think sometimes they just really don't know the God that they need to believe in. Well, Christianity teaches, that's us, that ultimately we must trust in God. That's what we have to learn to do every day. While we need to take responsibility for our actions, we cannot, by our ability and performance, ensure our spiritual well-being or earn eternal life. Can somebody say amen? Now, that's simple truth, folks. You and I can't buy our way into heaven. You cannot act good enough to get a front row seat. That's just the way it is. Okay, instead, we are saved by grace, the free gift of God. And we receive this gift through faith. There it is. You and I have to receive this by faith. We have to be strongly persuaded that this is the way to go. Okay? Well, by following his plan instead of our own ideas, by depending on God's work in our lives instead of our own goodness, that's really what that means. Stop depending on yourself. And start depending on someone who isn't going to fail. Now again, this is what faith looks like. When you have faith in God, that should naturally start to happen. Now that doesn't mean that you're not going to revert back to your own abilities. Because that will happen too. But you have to catch yourself and say, now wait a minute. The reason I'm depressed, the reason I'm feeling so bad is because I've been depending on me. And if I would just start to learn to depend on God 24-7, praise God, He doesn't fail. He doesn't make mistakes. He isn't screwing up like we do. Can you say amen? Come on, folks. This is, not, this is a good thing. And this is what faith needs to look like in our lives. That we are starting to depend on God more and more and more and more as it goes along. Now, that doesn't mean that you're going to get in a position where you can tell Him what to do. That's not faith. That sometimes can come under the heading of arrogance. And we have to watch that one, okay? Well, Pentecostal Christians, which we refer to ourselves, we are Pentecostal, by the way. And Pentecostal is an experience. The Pentecost, the day of Pentecost, people were filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. They began to speak in tongues as the Spirit gave the utterance. And we claim this promise also. So Pentecostal is an experience, praise God. And Pentecostal Christians emphasize that faith is not merely accepting a set of beliefs, but it is an experience with God and a new way of life. Can the Pentecostals say amen? amen. Come on, you've you got to keep reminding yourself of that in Jesus' name. In the fullest sense, faith means reliance and commitment. Now come on, get those two concepts Reliance on God, but I am also going to commit to Him. Come on. You can't just sit back and say, God, do everything. God, do everything. Come on. He created you with the ability to do things. And so you must understand it's up to you to commit to these things. That's also what faith looks like. 
people start committing their lives to God. Now, wait a minute. Don't you get the big hat, the big hat sides because you're doing that. It's just because God gave you the ability to do it. And so, co- reliance and commitment. And also, it requires the big O. Anybody know what that is? Obedience. That's what God is looking for you to get involved in on a regular basis. That doesn't mean you're not going to slip up from time to time, but we have to obey what we believe. Now, let's, do, let's use this as, as an example. If somebody runs into the workplace or your house or whatever the case is, and they start yelling, the building's on fire! The building's on fire! Now, the response of faith is not merely a grin and a nod and saying, I know that. Okay, you know. No, it's not just a nod or an acceptance, but the verbal expression of that would be, I'm getting out of here. I'm going to do something to save myself from these flames. Do you understand that? And when you get really involved in the Bible, you're going to find those kind of intersections on a regular basis. You're going to find where God is going to warn you about some of the fires that are in your life about some of the areas that you're going to on a regular basis that is not going to bear out well for you. Now, that's not a God that wants to, wants to totally run your show. That's a God that loves you enough to tell you the way it is. Come on, can somebody say amen? And it's also what faith begins to look like is we begin to see that. We begin to recognize, praise God, that God's got, He's got a whole lot bigger picture than I got. And our life starts to reflect that. That's why lifestyles will always change when you start operating by faith. That doesn't mean you're working your way to heaven. It just means that you recognize by faith that God knows more than you do. And I'm going to start receiving that. I'm going to start obeying that. I'm going to start doing something about that in the name of Jesus. Because if we believe the warning, we will immediately, we will immediately act upon it. There was a guy back in World War II, his name was Dietrich Baumholder. I've read some things about him. He was a German theologian that really, he, that really stood up for his beliefs during the time of Nazi Germany. And he was um, executed for that. And he made the statement before he died, he said, only he who is obedient really believes. And so you say, well, you're judging me. No, I'm watching your fruit. And you can watch mine too. Because if I say I really believe something and I don't do anything about it, I don't think that's going to do anybody any good. And I know that you came from a world where a lot of that's going on. And a lot of that's becoming status quo. And a lot of that is becoming the way people operate. You really can't believe what people say anymore. And I'm not trying to be pessimistic. I'm trying to be extremely realistic right now. And you're looking at a group of people right now that, hey, from time to time we mess up in that arena too. But we don't do it as often as we used to. Why is that? Because faith is beginning to grow in us. And we recognize that faith without works is, yes, it just simply is. Now, I'm trying to help you to understand what faith towards God, one of the fundamental teachings of Jesus, looks like. And now you're the one that's got to take this back into your housing unit here called the flesh or your body. And you've got to say, how am I doing with this? Where am I at with it? And that's not an intimidating statement. That's a challenge. Come on, you still got some life left. You still got a few days before this thing is all over. Why don't you make full use of it in Jesus' name? In fact, right now, I'm going to stop. And I want you just to close your eyes. And I'm going to request this, but you can do it if you want. I'm going to request that you lift up those hands right now and ask the Lord to help you to receive this. Come on. Man, alive, I feel the Spirit of the Lord in this place. Come on, there's ministry here. If you won't walk out of here and you'll just begin to let God do something, you can be a changed person. This could be an ingredient that will get a hold of you for the rest of your life. Come on, this is not some Pentecostal intimidation. This is not some, some you know, church way of doing things. This is biblical. I showed you in the Bible where this is a foundation of God. Come on, let's get serious about it. Let's, 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 let's plan on this week growing in faith. Come on, let's plan on it. 
Let's make our plans, praise God, that we're not going to stay in that small faith area. We're going to help, we're, with the help of the Lord, we're going to have some great faith. And we're going to see some mountains moved in the name of Jesus. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Now, why don't you thank God for this opportunity, praise God. That also is faith. I know people accuse us all the time. You're just trying to make people do things. No, we're just really giving people the opportunity to do things. I, didn't, I wasn't raised in a church like this. I came to a church that if you made one little noise, you know, you were, you were boy, you were in it. But the bottom line is when I, when I met you people, my first reaction to things like this was like, man, are they disrespectful? Until you started teaching me things like this. Until you started showing me in the Bible that this is where you got that. Now, that didn't help me to understand it all, but boy, it sure calmed my fears. And that's what I feel like the Lord will do. Come on. I understand the fear of the Lord is, is part of the package. But God doesn't want you to be scared of Him. He wants you to esteem Him, to respect Him, so that when He says something, it really means something. Not that you say, well, God, I'll take that with a grain of salt. I mean, I'll get back. You know, our, the common term today is I'll get back to you. And that's what we do with the Bible sometimes. We read this stuff, point blank, it hits us right between the eyes, and we just say, well, God, I'm busy, and so I'll get back to you. Well, you're going to play that card a little too often sometimes. And that's why, you know, when you come in here, praise God, you will feel commitment. You will feel a drawing power here. Amen. If you study that out, it's actually God pushing you a little bit. That's exactly what's going on. Why? Because he knows that you and I need that. We need his commandments. We need to point blank have him say something that nobody can misinterpret. And that's what you find in the Bible. Can you say amen? That gives me great comfort. I am so glad that God does things like that. Now I understand, you know, I even I get tired of it sometimes, but man, I thank God for it a little bit later on. And so here's God. He's here today, and he's trying to help us to have faith towards God. The Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please him in, this same, in the same book of Hebrews. God wants us to have faith, so he supplies the ingredient, or let me say this, he, he supplies the seed. That's what he's done. And if you'll allow that seed to accumulate in your life in ways. See, the Bible says faith cometh by and hearing by the, that's one of the most direct ways to get faith towards God, is to allow His Word to become the major influence in your life. And God can help us to do that. He will help us to do that in Jesus' name. Praise God. Now, when Jesus called some Galilean fishermen to be His disciples, He just simply said, follow me. Wow. He didn't get out and say, now if you guys don't do this, man, you're really going to get in trouble. No, he didn't say that. He just gave them the option. And I believe that there's a lot of that that's what's happening in our lives today. He just said, follow me. And they did not become disciples merely by believing him to be the Messiah, Lord and Savior, or by verbally confessing him as such. They became his disciples only when they obeyed his instructions. Amen. Cast aside their nets and began to follow him. Faith is only real in an act of obedience. That's what faith towards God really looks like. So think about that the next time because there will be. God gives us many, many chances. That's another part of the package deal of mercy. Now, I don't know when that's going to run out, and I'm not here to threaten you, but the bottom line is it will. 125, on an average, 125,000 people a day leave this earth. Isn't that mind-boggling? It really is. And that's not some threat, that's reality. The Bible says that God says, it's been appointed unto man once to die, and then the judgment. And so he's not trying to sneak up on you. He's just trying to tell you that's the way it is. This is not your permanent dwelling. And so Christianity is more than mental acknowledgement, verbal profession, or even performance of religious duties. You see, we can get into the place where we think what we're doing is really mattering. And we better be careful with that one. 
Now, I'm not saying that it doesn't, but he gets the credit first. So, if we truly have faith in Jesus Christ, we will obey his gospel and our lives will be transformed by his spirit. That is a guarantee. Amen. Thus, Pentecostals emphasize the importance of repentance, you know, a decision to turn away from sin, baptism in the name of Jesus Christ for the receiving of, and the receiving of the Holy Ghost. You can check this out in the second chapter of the book of Acts. Amen. Through the power of God, then we are able to work for the transformation of human lives and human societies. Look, listen to this example. Years ago, and I heard about this, I never did see it, but years ago, tightrope walkers used to demonstrate their talents by walking on a wire stretched over Niagara Falls. Don't ask me why, but they did it, okay? Yeah, it's kind of like riding a bike up in the mountains where nobody else will go, right? No, I'm just kidding, just kidding. Yeah, crowds would gather to see this incredibly dangerous feat. People would just gather to see the crazies, all right? Well, once a performer promised to push a wheelbarrow across the wire. And first, however, he wanted assurance from the audience that they believed that he could do it. Yeah. Well, eagerly, like most of the time, the crowd roared its approval several times. Yeah, you can do that. You can do that. Well, finally, the performance pointed to one of the most vocal supporters and said, well, jump in. Yeah, I'll wheel you across. Now, neither this man nor anyone else would accept the offer. Listen to me. They had faith in the sense of opinion or agreement, but they were not willing to commit their lives to what they professed. Now, I'm not saying God's going to have you get on a tightrope and, and going to cause you to do something crazy. But on a daily basis, he is asking you to walk the way he wants you to walk. He is asking you to treat your time, your treasure, and in your talents, and give them to him. That's what he's doing. And that's not something that God is doing to have us to think they're crazy. No, he's, he's demonstrating the fact that if you're really committed to me, these kind of things will naturally show up. And I understand, just like me, you need, and we need, constantly to be reminded of that. That our commitment to God is what really allows our light to shine very, very brightly. That's what God said. Remember that? After he got done with the attitude sections, and then he said, man, you're going to be persecuted. People are going to say things about you and all that business. God's a fully disclosed God. But then he said, you're the salt of the earth, which means you're the flavor. But if salt has lost its flavor, it needs to be thrown out. It's no good. So we have to have that renewed on a regular basis. Then he said, let people see your good works. Let your light shine. But don't forget, he said, let them give God glory for it. And then he said, don't make the big mistake of putting that light under a bushel. Why would you want to do that? Come on, this is what our commitments will show the world. It doesn't mean that everybody that sees us is going to get saved. It just means that they're going to see faith in action. And that's what the world needs. They don't need some other rendition of this. They don't need somebody's interpretation of it. They need what the Bible says about faith in Jesus' name. Now let me ask you a question here, and I'm going to move on here in just a second. Are you serious about this? Do you want to see faith towards God begin to grow in your life? Why don't you begin to stand right now and lift up both of those hands? And let's just come to the Lord with faith right now. Come on, vocalize that. Don't look at somebody next to you. You tell God what, what needs to happen here in the name of Jesus. Oh, I believe it, Lord. I believe that you are here. Oh, to do great things. Hallelujah, hallelujah, Jesus. Strength and honor, Lord God, in the name of Jesus is here. Oh, ah, yes, in the name of Jesus. God, I pray that right now. Let that one that's contemplating that right now, let that be fully convinced. Mm, hallelujah. Mm, hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. Yes. Yes, in the name of Jesus. 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 That's beautiful, hon. I'm telling you right now, you've got faith in God. We just let that lead you into a dimension of being filled with His Spirit in Jesus' name. 
You're doing real good. You're doing real good in Jesus' name. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, Lord God. Praise you, Lord God. Come on, let's take another 30 seconds. Come on, we got time. We got time. Come on, let's move into his dimension right now. And let's allow something to saturate us. Something to saturate us. So that we'll never be the same again. Oh, hallelujah, 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 Jesus. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you for this, Lord. Oh, I'm totally convinced, Lord God, of what you want to do. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Mm, hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, Lord God. I appreciate you. You can be seated again. God bless you. Praise God. I I'm, I'm trust that the Lord is, is, is really, really, really helping you to see things in the name of Jesus. And again, I understand that this is different. This is a lot different. I, I, it took me a while to get used to you folks and some of the um, displays and that type of thing. And I understand the human element is still involved, but it's just the idea that I under, I, I, you, you begin to see what this stuff looks like and you can begin to check your own self. You know, Paul finally got to a place with the Corinthian church and he spent a great deal of time there. And it was a big church. There's some theologians, I don't know where they get this information at, but they estimate that the church in, in, in Corinth was over 10,000. It was a huge church, huge, huge, because the impact of, of, of uh, the baptism of the Holy Ghost really drew a lot of people. And when you find an area that's kind of like this area with the Native Americans, and I appreciate you folks, but a lot of times they're very spiritually um, sensitive and when you can start helping them understand what the real spirit looks like and what the real spirit feels like, wow, folks like that won't struggle because they've been looking for it for years anyway. And so the Corinthian church was a lot like that. But Paul, some people they say, and there's evidence in the scripture, that he made four distinct journeys there. And he did a lot of teaching. There's a lot of what I call how do you live for God every day teaching in the books of the Corinthian, the Corinthian books. And the reason of it is, is because there were troubles. There were people who, you know, had one idea of how this should be, and Paul had to continually go back, and he had to um, raise up elders amongst them that would help them to see this more clearly. And so things are not really much different than they were uh, back then than they are now. That's what we do. When we come to the Lord, all of us, we have our own little idea of how it should be. Can somebody who wants to be truthful say amen? amen? It's the truth. And we have to sometimes over a slower period of time change those views. Amen. We have to begin to get the mindset of Christ. And that takes a while. That takes consistency and that takes commitment, like I said. And your faith towards God will really lend itself towards that. And Paul finally got to a place in the latter, the second Corinthians. He said, examine yourselves. Don't, let, don't, don't just examine yourselves when I come back and, and get the platform or, or the pulpit. You examine yourselves on a regular basis, and we can do that. That's, that's the power that God gives us. You can sit in your home, and you can read your Bible, and you can think about what God is doing, and you can find those same results in Jesus' name. Because believe me, folks, there's two places that people are going to end up. You know, and I'm not talking about heaven and hell, although that's, that's a whole other subject. A lot of times today, people don't want to hear about hell, but it's true. If you'll check out the Gospels, you'll find that Jesus actually taught more about hell than he did heaven. And really, the central message that Jesus gave about hell was, you don't want to go there. You don't want to go there. And if you really do a deeper study, you're going to find out that hell was actually invented for the fallen angels. That's really why God had to do it, because they didn't want to live for God. You know, they were in heaven, and, and this beautiful place that you and I want to go, they didn't want to stay there because they didn't like the person in charge. Yeah. Well, that's why you need to get to know God, because he's going to stay in charge, and that's not a threat. Amen. And so basically what you have is the scripture says in that book that I, that I shared with you in Hebrews, it says, it's been appointed unto man once to die, and then the judgment and I know judgment is another one of those words that, boy, we just don't like that, you know. But it's coming, folks. It's coming. You see reflections of this throughout the history of mankind. You see where God came, you know, God observed the world at one time and said that every thought that they're thinking is evil. And so what's God going to do? Is he just going to leave it go? 
No, God doesn't do that. He said, well, I'm going to give them an opportunity to be saved, and thus you have a guy named Noah that comes into the picture. And he was a man that the Bible says found grace in the eyes of God. What does that mean? It means that he would do what God told him to do. And so here you go. You've got about a 100-year project here. Yeah, he's building an ark. And this thing is not some small little paddle boat. (laughs) This thing's an ark, man. This thing's huge. And so he's getting involved. I don't know how long it took for him to get the boys involved. I don't know. They might have looked at Dad and said, Dad, this is just too much. Ah. But all of a sudden, one day he was on one side of, the, of, of, of a beam or whatever the case is, and all of a sudden he felt some help. And the boys came to work that morning. And boy, work is still hard, but it became a little bit easier. Come on, that's what God is doing in this world today. He's not building a physical ark, but he's, he's building a church where people can come in and they can be saved. They can find out, just like you did, what does it mean to have faith in God? What does it mean to repent? And they can do that as often as they like. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that quite an offer that God gives people? Amen. But make no mistake about it. The time period, the time clock ended and judgment came. And I, it, does, it still gives me kind of a, you know, the, the hair on the back of your head kind of stands up when you read that because it's very sobering that there was a day when God said, I gave them 120 years, an opportunity to come into this ark. And now I'm not going to let the other ones that really want to get in there not be saved. So he put them in that ark and he sealed the door. Isn't that true? Now this is a judgment that most of the world in some definition or another knows about. Even people who don't believe in Jesus Christ believe that there was a worldwide flood. And so judgment came. And so you and I must understand that God doesn't forget about judgment. He just sometimes prolongs it so that people like you and me can get right with Him. Now if that isn't a definition of mercy, I don't know what is. And so keep that in mind. God is funneling mercy into your life every day. Amen. And you can sit here and say, well, I'll just kind of just take advantage of it. And you can do that. But one of these days, it's going to be over. And so the, the, one of the, uh, the final judgment places is going to be a place called the judgment seat of Christ. And you say, well, what is the judgment seat of Christ? You can find this written in the, uh, in the Bible, in, in, the, in Romans chapter number 14, Paul makes reference to it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul makes reference to it. And then again in 2 Corinthians chapter number 5, he talks about the judgment seat of Christ. And some people misunderstand this. But what it is, it's a place where people who, like you and I who have gotten ourselves right with God have had faith in the Lord, obeyed His commandments, did everything that we know that we should do for God. Can somebody say amen? Well, one of these days you and I are going to die. But the big thing that you and I took care of is the sin issue. And it wasn't that we became perfect and never sinned again. It's just that we gave our sin to the, to the throne or to Jesus Christ and His blood. That's why having faith in what Jesus Christ has already done is a very, very important part of, our, uh, of the whole picture of faith. And we do that every day. It's not that we never sin. It's just that after we were baptized in Jesus' name for our past, we kept it going in the present. And when we did sin, we didn't just put it on the back burner. We just said, God, I'm sorry. Come on, has anybody besides me done that this week? Come on, how did that make you feel? It made me feel clean again. It made me feel just like I got out of that baptismal tank. Come on, how did that, how come that happened? It's because I had faith towards God. Do you see how it works? I was baptized in full immersion in water 45 years ago. Come on, 45 years ago. But this week I had the opportunity to have faith towards God and believe in Him in Jesus' name. And He forgave me of those sins. Come on, I just feel like lifting my hands right now and thanking God for that. Come on, I don't take that for granted.
Praise God. That's why I don't hesitate in these things anymore. That's why my life is, is surrounded by this stuff. Because I know how much I need it. I need the things of God in my life every day. I don't make any bones about that, folks. I'm not standing up here think, you know, having you make me an idol or something like that. I'm just like you. I need God. And that faith that God helped me to have years and years and years ago is still operating today, praise God. It's still alive and well, praise God. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Years ago, years ago, this is going to be carnal, but maybe this will get the point across. I used to listen to rock and roll music, and one of the guitarists I really liked was a guy named Johnny Winter. Probably don't even know who I'm talking about, but it's just who he is. And Johnny Winter was a tremendous blues guitar player. He was. I mean, this guy could really play the guitar. I'm not talking about Johnny Be Good, okay? This was Johnny Winter, and he would play. But the problem with Johnny Winter is he had a problem with drugs, and he would fall into that man. I mean, he about killed himself probably almost, you know, 25, 30 times. And he had a brother named Edgar. And Edgar was a pretty good musician too. And Johnny went into, um, into rehab. He was making a habit of doing that. And one day, uh, Edgar was given a concert. Uh, and I think it was Edgar uh, Winter and the White Trash. That's what it was called. I, this is dated, folks. This is back in late 60s and early 70s. And this was B.C., just so you know. Okay, before Christ, for me, anyway. Well, he was at one of his concerts, and there was a guy in his band called Rick Derringer, and he wrote a song, and they were going to play this song, and, and, and Edgar Winter got up on the stage, and he said, some of you people keep asking me, where's your brother? And man, the, the crowd, it was a live album, I remember, it, and the crowd just erupted, you know? And all of a sudden, this guy with long, gray, stringly, white hair, actually, he was an albino is what he was, he'd come out onto the stage, and Johnny Winter came out on the stage. And you know the song that they played? I never forgot this. You say, well, you're carnal. No, it just, it, it hits me in a different light now. And the song was, Still Alive and Well. That's what they sang. And everybody in the place knew that the guy had a problem with drugs and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, he would go to rehab and he'd get okay with it, and then he'd be still alive and well. Well, listen to me. I'm not here to put Johnny Winter, he's actually dead and gone now, and put him under the, under the bus. But the bottom line is you and I, we can, we can understand that. That you and I, the Bible says we were dead in our trespasses. You and I had no hope. Yet there was no place for us to go once we realized that. And now all of a sudden we came to the Lord and he, we were born again of the water and of the Spirit. Come on, somebody needs to rejoice in this in the name of Jesus and we're still alive and well. Come on, we're still alive and well. Oh, hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. And so that's what, is it. That's what the deal is. Amen. It's just amazing how many things that I went through without God that God all of a sudden emphasizes, now you're with me. And look at these things, how they shine and that type of thing. I hope I didn't offend anybody by using that example, but I'll never forget that's what I thought in life. I thought, well, man, the best we can do is just try to, try to get a few things right in this world. But God has helped me, praise God. You can not only, with his help, get things right in this world, but he's preparing you for the next world, praise God. Because one of these days, I'm telling you, we're going to shoot out of here in the name of Jesus, and we're going to ever be with the Lord. Can somebody say amen? Oh, hallelujah. Praise God. And you better believe we're going to be still alive and well. That's exactly what it's going to be. And I'm going to tell you something. Nobody can take that away from you. Yeah. I'm telling you, once God puts that in, I'm not talking about eternal salvation here. You know, or I'm just talking about the fact that you can embrace yourself or wrap yourself around that so much and so tight that nothing else can get in the way. You see, that's why commitment is so important. Praise God. Commitment is one of the things that God helps us to obtain because commitment will wrap ourselves around the things of God and not let those things come back in in Jesus' name. Amen. Now I can understand by looking over this kaleidoscope here, I can see in eyes of people that that meant something to you. I don't know exactly what it was, maybe it wasn't exactly like me, but I can tell it meant something. And the reason of it is, folks, is because we're human beings and we have that innate, innate 
um, ability to understand that, that eternity, that one of these days it is going to be over. And it's not like some big threat or cloud hangs over us. But boy, I mean to tell you, when God takes that eternal weight off of us, it is a powerful, you know, powerful thing to know that we are prepared in Jesus' name. First Thessalonians chapter number 4. I've used this verse sometimes at funerals to help people understand, you know, maybe where their loved one went. Not that I'm judging them, but it's the idea that, you know, you're either going to go and you're going to be with God or you're not. And that's not me sizing you up. That's what the Bible says. It's just one of those things. You know, I might speak about this a little more in detail tonight, I don't know. But the bottom line is, the judgment seat of Christ is where I'm headed. And the judgment seat of Christ really has to do with the things that I'm doing for the Lord. Now, that doesn't mean I'm working my way to heaven. It just means that simply, I'm getting involved in the process of God. The Bible says, we know that all things together work for the good. For those that love God and are called according to His purpose. And one of the beauties of my life is that when I was baptized in Jesus' name, received the Holy Ghost and began to attend regularly in a church like this, God began to speak to me about what He would like me to do for the rest of my life. Now, I was 22, 23 years of age at that time. And I didn't know how much time I had. I really didn't. You guys told me that Jesus was coming back and I believed you. And I thought, man, I'm probably not going to be at least 24 maybe. But here I am, you know, I'm the next birthday, I'll be 68 years of age. And that's, you know, you go, wow. But the point of it is, during that time, God has helped me to understand I can get involved in His purpose. That's what I can do. You know, Paul said it this way. He said in 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4, he said in verse number 13, 4 and 13, you've heard it before, I know most of you have, he said, but I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. And the word asleep there means those that, are di that died, that left this earth. He said that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. See, one of the things that God has to restore to a human life before it can really go on is hope. Hope is the middle child. Faith, hope, and charity. Yeah. Hope is that middle child. It has to be restored. Because without hope, we, what's the use? And that's why one of the tricks of the devil, he can't make you do anything, but boy, he can suggest things. And I even feel it in here a little bit. There was maybe one or two of you that came in here and you didn't have much hope. Your hope meter was way down. And I'm hoping that that one will go up a little bit. Because you can have hope in God. And so Paul is saying, don't sorrow as others that have no hope. He says, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again. Somebody said, say faith. That's what it means. Have faith towards God. We talked about that. He said, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. See, we have a hope that this is not it, that there's going to be a, another gathering together. Sister Chrissy, I'll ask you to maybe, do you got a song? Okay, all right, okay. And, and, and the Bible says that this is what's going to happen. For this we say unto you, and this is important in verse 15, look at this, by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. The man Christ Jesus had two comings. The first comings of the, coming of the man Christ Jesus was what we celebrate at Christmas time. For unto us a child is born, a son is given. That one we celebrate. God in, incarnated himself in a body named Jesus Christ. He's the Messiah and he came to die for the sins of the world. Can you say amen? And so Paul is not talking about this coming. He's talking about another coming. And he said that if we believe in the Lord, praise God, and we have faith in him, then we're gonna, we can expect the Lord to come. It says in verse 16, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. See, this is one of those fundamental doctrines, the resurrection of the dead. Every person that has ever been born on this earth will be resurrected again. And they're either going to get resurrected to go to the judgment seat of Christ, where they've already dealt with their sins the way God wants them to, 
or they're going to end up in a place called the Great White Throne Judgment. And that one is going to be a very somber event. I don't have time to bring that one out to you, but you can study that for yourself in the 20th chapter of the book of Revelation. It's there. The Scripture says, For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together. The word caught up is where we get the word rapture. The word rapture is not in the King James Version Bible. It's caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Now, verse 18 is something I really want to emphasize before I'm done. Because God wants you to become a person who can receive comfort. But if you're going to continue to get your comfort from this world, in the temporary little reliefs that you get in this world, I feel sad for you. Now, it's not that I don't get comfort sometimes in the world. We had a, yesterday, um, was it yesterday or the day before, we got a phone call. And Chica's on the phone. That's what we call her. Chica. Yeah, Flora Joe. And my goodness, Sister Carnahan and I are sitting there talking to her, and boy, we're just having a great time. And then we play a game with her. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. We smiled. And you can't tell me I didn't get comfort from that. Come on. But that was a temporary comfort. What I'm talking about is a comfort that you can take with you everywhere that you go. Now, come on. There's a couple of you. Some of There's one or two online that your hope meter's way, way down. And I'm trying to get that hope meter up. And one of the ways that we get that hope meter up is by getting comforted. The Bible says, Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Come on, that's an attitude. God didn't say you weren't going to have, you know, He didn't promise you a rose garden. He didn't promise you you'd never have any, never have any problems. He just said you're going to have comfort, praise God, that will help you to get through that in the name of Jesus. And I got a feeling there's somebody here today that you're recognizing that your hope meter is down a little bit. And I'm going to give you a little bit of opportunity. I'm stopping early just for you, praise God, so you can come down to this altar area right down here and you can get out of that seat and you can get some comfort in the Lord in the name of Jesus. Now, I'm not going to go out there and grab you by the nap of the neck and drag you down here. All I'm going to say is that the God that I've talked about that wants you to have faith towards Him, He's here. He's here to help your comfort meter in the name of Jesus. And if you'll love Him, praise God. I'm going to tell you something. God will do... Let's...